If you really um, are excited about this team and know these people, don't forget that there is a party or a send-off at the Assembly's house this afternoon at 3 o'clock. So I'm sure that there will be more opportunities. If you have more words, pictures, prophetic, money, those kind of things to give, today would be the time to do it. You know, I was in a, I was in a meeting this um, week with some, some dear friends and godly men in our movement, and one of them said a phrase that stuck with me, and as Amy was sharing, it reminded me of this phrase. And he said, um, the revelation of Jesus in our hearts, when we have a revelation of how good, how awesome and wonderful Jesus is in our hearts, it brings anointing to our lips. When we know how great and awesome Jesus is, and when we speak, there's power, there's anointing. You could feel it when Amy was speaking. You could feel the power of Christ upon her because the revelation of Christ lives in her. And that's really what this series is about that we're in right now in Daniel. Uh, I I was also thinking, you know, if we live for Jesus, um, if we have a revelation of Jesus in our life, if we have a revelation of how awesome God is, that we can put our whole life or our trust in, then we are going to be available for him when he calls. Um, the reality is, is that we're all living for him, or if we know Jesus, we're living, and hopefully we're living for him. Um, and sometimes uh, we take that life in Christ and we take it to another location. We move because we want to uh, see the kingdom of God established in another person's life, or a people group's life, or a nation's life. And we say, God, I'm willing to pause, stop, redirect, Remobilized to go. And that's what this team is doing um, going to Cambodia. Sometimes God arranges it in different ways, and that's what we see in Daniel. Uh, we see God have, uh, gathering a group of people, and within that group of people, there are some people that are highly devoted to him and in love with him, but God um, uh, allows their migration of mission to be a little bit different than Amy's. Um, Amy's going willingly. The people of Israel did not go willingly to Babylon. Amen? Uh, after, the, after the death and resurrection of Christ and the persecution of the church uh, in Jerusalem uh, and in the surrounding areas, there were many people that followed Jesus who did not go willingly to the next town. They're called the Diaspora, and they were actually scattered because of persecution. But all three of those parties have a similar DNA. Cambodia team, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, uh, the, the disciples of Christ, the church, they had a common unifying theme, and that was they were unashamedly devoted to God and to Jesus Christ. So we see in this study, as we've been looking at Babylon, that, uh, Daniel and thriving in Babylon, that there is a call um, upon us to not only know God, but to know God in such a way that our lives are transformed and we live differently have you been meditating and thinking about that over the last few weeks? Yeah, has it been good? All right, awesome. When I think of somebody like Daniel, and so here we are in Daniel 6. Uh, for those of you who've been doing the study along with us, Daniel 6, we, we, I noted this in Daniel 1, if you remember, that when we uh, look at, at, at Daniel 1, we see young men um, being highlighted here that are being ca- captured and taken into the, taken into the king's service. When we get to Daniel 6, most theologians assume or, or, or think that Daniel is around 80 years old. So we have an old man now. I, I, I hate to tell all of you um, 
um, Sunday school, Bible felt, um, you know, m- mobile uh, storytellers. Daniel's not a, you know, a young man in the, in the lion's den. He is now mature in his faith. He has, he has lived through a couple of kings. He's on his third or fourth king. We're not quite sure. But he's, he's lived through many rulers, and he has been faithful to God and faithful in his witness um, as we enter into Daniel 6. And I think about wanting to live my life with purpose all the way through. I remember talking to, when I, I remember when I was 22 years old and I was talking to a 40-year-old. Man, was he old. And he, and he had this, this vibrancy to his faith. And he said to me, he said, Sean, I purposed when I got saved and when I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I was yielded to the Lord as a young man. He said, I purposed that I would be just as vibrant and just as on fire with God in my 40s that I was in my 20s. And then he asked me, how am I doing? I said, you're doing great. I want to live like you when I get to my 40s. Well, here I am way into my 40s. And I'm hoping that that's the testimony of me. But when I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about somebody that's twice my age who has lived this life, and his name is Billy Graham. Billy Graham's still alive, 97 years old, living faithfully as a witness before this country and the the nations of the world. Uh, Doing a little research on him before this message, I found that statistics say that more than 3.2 million people have res- responded to the invitation um, of Christ at Billy Graham Crusades. 3.2 million people have responded to the gospel to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. As of 2008, and there's six years since then, so I have no idea. The statistics are probably much higher, although he's older in age. I don't think he's speaking as much. But there's estimated that in his lifetime, the audience that heard the gospel would top 2.2 billion people. Wow. He, as a result of those numbers, statisticians can probably easily say that he has probably preached the gospel to more people in person than any person in human history. But his, his life did not come without controversy. He, he, had, he started his life, in the, his ministry, ministry life in the fit, for, late 40s and early 50s. Um, segregation and racial tensions were very much up in front and center uh, uh, during his ministry campaign. He came from the South. He ministered, um, began his ministry in the South where tensions were even higher. And in 1952, early on in his campaign, because of those tensions and because of the pressure that was being put on him, he made a public announcement that all of his crusades, none of his crusades would be segregated, that everyone was welcome to come to his crusades. As a matter of fact, to press the issue, he invited uh, Dr. Martin Luther King to speak in his crusade at the consternation of many that, that supported him because he wanted to make a point. The gospel is for all people. He was very outspoken against apartheid in South Africa when it was not popular to speak out against apartheid. He was also criticized and has been from, to, to, from the, to this day by, by people of other faiths and atheists for being too exclusive in his claims about Jesus being the only way to God. And yet without compromise, he's preached clearly this truth in the gospel. He's been seen, it, seen by liberals as being too fundamental He's been seen by fundamentalists as being too liberal. He couldn't hit the mark with any human being, but he hit the mark with Christ because of his devotion to him. 
The Gallup polls list of most admired men and women have been littered year by year with Graham in the top spot or in one of the top spots. He has appeared on that list as one of the most admired men and women 55 times. And there was a streak of 49 consecutive years there at one point. By the middle of the 1960s, he became known as the great legitimator, meaning that his presence confirmed sanctity on any event, authority on present, presidents, accept, acceptability, desirability, or decency. He was the model for America, oftentimes called America's pastor. Why? Because early on in his, in his days, and I would encourage you to read an autobiography by him and hear his story, but early on in his life, he decided that he was going to live wholeheartedly and unashamedly for Jesus. And it just so happened that God chose him to speak. But there's millions of people just like him that live day by day, unashamed uh, in their faith, living, um, living in mild persecution or great persecution, living um, in poverty or riches, living however God has called them to live so that they can proclaim genuinely and sincerely the gospel of Christ. Our question today is how will we live our life? How will we live our life and finish our lives as Daniel's finishing his life in this passage of Scripture? So Daniel 6, the lion's den. We know Daniel's story. I just shared that with you. And um, we jump into verse 1 and 2. He's a new king. I mean, he's under a new king, excuse me. Um, He's been asked to serve again as one of the three chief administrators of this king's king's regime. He's going to be over 120 other satraps or wise men to make sure that the interest of the king is, is, is promoted and that the king's leadership does not suffer. He has been called to be a wise advisor among supposedly all of, uh, of King Darius's wise leaders. Verse 3, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was set apart because of his exceptional qualities. Um, In the NASB, that's the NIV version, in the New American Standard Version, it, it translates it this way, and I like this translation, the extraordinary spirit. He had an extraordinary spirit. Some theologians would liken that, and I would too, to he had something different by the spirit of God in him. There was something extraordinary that he was tapping into. And I want to encourage us as believers in the room that we have an extraordinary spirit on us. We forget that Christ Jesus, who rose from the dead, now lives in us. His spirit, and it's extraordinary. I oftentimes think, um, if, if I'm in my right mind, if I'm living within this truth, I think I see Jesus in me going, let me out! Let me out. I have a word in this situation. I have something I can do for this person. I, I, have, a, I, I have power that I want to dispose through you. Just reach out your hands. Open up your mouth, Sean. I got something great I want to do because an extraordinary God lives in you and me. Do you believe it? Okay, you're looking way too somber to believe it. I got folded arms. I've got furrowed brows. Do you believe that you've got an extraordinary spirit. Billy Graham is not the only person in this story that has an extraordinary spirit. Daniel is not the only person in this story that has an extraordinary spirit. I'm 
not the only person in this room that has an extraordinary spirit. And I can say that. I almost said, is that too proud? No, I'm not the spirit. You are. We've got an extraordinary spirit, the living God that lives in us. If we could be reminded of that every day, then great things will happen in our lives. And Daniel was living out that life. He was being promoted. And can I say this? Extraordinary spirited people don't just go out on the street corners and preach the gospel. They don't just go to Cambodia. They don't just become preachers of crusades. They go into their workplace and they extraordinarily operate in their giftings in a way that brings favor on themselves and on their companies and on their schools and in their environments because an extraordinary God wants to saturate and change everything around us. So you have no less a call. I have no less a call. We have no less a call. But to live simply with God, listening and obeying and allowing that extraordinary spirit to work through us. I spoke of the, the, the people of Acts earlier, but Acts 4.13, and it's speaking about Peter and John, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If we're with Jesus, extraordinary things will happen. Great favor. Verse 4. <clears throat> At this, because of this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Can you say jealousy? When we see something happening in somebody else's life, and I don't want to bring any condemnation or guilt on anybody in this room, but as humans, sometimes when we see favor on another person's life, we get jealous. We want what they are getting. We want the position that they are getting. We want the favor. And yet if... In this, in this context, the favor came because of God. They could, not, they could find no cor- corruption in Daniel because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, and finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of God. Daniel was marked with otherness. He was unlike those that were around him. He was trustworthy. He was full of integrity. He was a hard worker. He was wise. He had the ability to live this unashamed life in God and still uh, find favor with those who didn't believe in God. Amen? Is that possible? should be. That we live such excellent lives that we have favor even with those who who might not see it our way. Now, at the same time, the Scripture tells us to some, we will be the aroma of life, and to others, we will be the stench of death. So for those of us who want to be liked by everybody, you're in trouble, as we see in this passage of Scripture. Because as believers in God who are trustworthy, full of integrity, fully devoted to God, we are going to be aroma and stench all at the same time. And that's okay if we trust that we're living before the Lord. A corrupt culture needs to see honesty and integrity. A mistrusting culture needs to see someone they can trust. A lazy, negligent culture needs to see someone who works hard and fulfills commitments. Our culture needs to see love, not hate. Our culture needs to see forgiveness, not unforgiveness. Our culture needs to see a a life marked by rebirth in new life, not dead works. 
and religion. I don't think that our environment could be any more stark than it is now as we, we walk through the political process, can it? Oh, everybody got nervous. He's going to talk politics. Okay, I'm not supposed to talk about politics, sex, and religion. Okay. We're in an ugly, ugly season of our country. We stopped our service last week and said, it's so ugly, we've got to pray. I didn't even preach my message last week. I was so disturbed. We should be disturbed, but we should not be disturbed, disturbed without hope. We should not be disturbed without action. But we should be disturbed, and we should be called by God to do whatever we can to allow people to see. Well, I thought that was about to tip over. To allow people to see who the real God is, the extraordinary God that lives within you and me. And to be honest with you, it's very hard to see it sometimes. There's a video that's been put out <clears throat> a few years ago by four college students called um, Beware of Christians. And their journey was to l- try to get away from religion and find authentic faith lived out in Christ. In, in one of the clips, they're asking two people on the street who have obviously been around Christians, do you see anything different, unique, um, not ordinary about these Christians that you're living around? And they, they pan up on the two, two people and they go, no, not really. Not really. Not much different between a Christian and a non-Christian in my mind. Wouldn't we like to change that statement? I looked at that and I was like, I want to go, can I go? I want to interview those people. I want to show them Jesus. I want to live Jesus around them. Can that be our desire? When we live this way, as Daniel did, we find favor with God and with some people. And some people it promotes jealousy and it promotes anger. But what an honor to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Verses 6 through 9. Everyone in the leadership team, apart from Daniel, goes to Darius with a plot. We've seen this kind of story unfold already in Daniel. They go with a plot to put Daniel in a bad situation. And they say, uh, you know, make, a, make an edict that anybody who doesn't pray, praise to anybody but you should be thrown into the, to the lion's den. And so Darius um, signs this into law, declares it to be the law of the land, um, and in a sense, seals Daniel's fate. They set a trap up for Daniel in respect to his religious views and in respect to his worship and in respect to his convictions. Do you feel like eyes are upon you in this day? Do you feel like that eyes are upon you because of your faith? Do you feel like people are watching? They are. People are watching you in this room, let alone outside this room. People are aware of how you're living, and for those who don't find your faith attractive, and more and more these days, it's becoming less and less attractive to more and more people, um, there might be um, responses, reactions, initiatives taken against you. Are you prepared for that? Are we prepared for those kind of situations? Are we prepared to find ourselves in a situation where maybe we are um, cussed out because of our faith? Are we prepared to find ourselves in situations where maybe we are 
marginalized at work because of our faith. Maybe we're fired because of our faith. Are we prepared for that? If you're not prepared for that, you're not living as a wise Christian. Because you need to prepare for the reality that for some, you are the stench of death. Whether it's in a casual acquaintance on the street or it's somebody that you live by, neighbor or work associate, you need to be prepared for that reaction or that situation. And our preparation probably should be far different than how somebody who's not a believer is prepared. Because our preparation is the same preparation that we see Daniel have in this story. Two things. Daniel was already living simply devoted to God. And what happened, as we further go down in the story, what happened when Daniel found out that this this edict had been declared and therefore sealed his fate. Look with me at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What did Daniel do? Daniel did what he always did. Daniel poured out his heart to God. How many of us have a rhythm in our life that when hard seasons come, the natural response of our life is I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing and that's calling out to God. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on listening to God. And we do see in this passage of Scripture that not only was he in a place of devotion before the Lord, but it just so happens that his devotions were with open windows. They were seen before the people of of his city. He not only did what he normally did by devoting himself and calling, calling out to God, but he also continued to be on public display. He did not shrink back in his faith. But I would imagine that in his mind, he said, here we go again. God, you've been faithful before, and you will be faithful today, no matter what it looks like. I am not turning from you, but putting my trust in the living God. Not long ago, we had some of our very own missionaries in another country um, picked out by people in the community who did not like what they lived for and what they were proclaiming. And while they were in their house, they locked them in their house and they tried to set them on fire by, by lighting the curtains of their, their home and tried to burn them to death. It just so happened that the curtains that were in that home were non-flammable curtains, or they didn't flame up the way that the, the killers thought they were going to, God, or maybe they were angelic curtains, I don't know, but the curtains did not burn the way they were supposed to, and they had enough time to call the community leader that they trusted, and the community leader rallied some people to come and remove them from their house before they burned to death. What would you and I do in that situation? Are we prepared to even think about what that situation might present to us in our own faith if we were there? Can I tell you what those, th- that family has done? They left for a season to recover emotionally, but they are purposing in their heart to jump back in to love the people that they have been loving. Why? Because of what Amy said. How, why are you going to Cambodia? Because 
God's changed my life because Jesus has changed my life. And I want people to see the changed life that's in me that doesn't respond to fear and intimidation, but responds with love and grace. Daniel responded not in fear. He didn't fight, but he prayed. Real quickly, just a, just a highlight. I, we won't stay here because that will be a whole other message, a message on prayer. But can we just say that we see some things in his model of prayer for us. He was humble, defenseless, dependent on God, kneeling before the Lord. He was disciplined in his prayer. Three times a day, he prayed. He prayed with thanksgiving, thanking God, even in the midst of this trial. God, I thank you, even as he knows that he is going to the den of lions. And he petitioned not only for himself, but for others. He uses an opportunity to stretch his faith and trust in the living God. And I believe it prepared him for that night of travail and encounter in the pit with the lions. So we go into verse 12 through 15. <clears throat> the leaders go back to Darius. Um, and didn't you say that you would do this? They found Daniel praying. They accused Daniel before the king. The king um, realizes that he has to go ahead and follow through with the edict. He actually likes Daniel. And so he... Uh, commands that this should happen. Verse 16, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. They rolled the stone over the pit. They sealed it by the king's ring. Um, they, put, they, they put people on notice around this pit, and then the king went home, but he could not sleep. The one, who, the one person who everybody is supposed to be praying to could not sleep because he was thinking about the God of Daniel, and he was thinking about Daniel, his friend. He could not sleep. He was restless. He's wanting something to happen. There is something happening in the king's heart. He actually is believing that maybe Daniel's God can rescue him. Because we see this because at verse 19, look what he did. He didn't just get up and go through his king day, king's day. He didn't just assume with mourning that this person that he really liked, this advisor, was dead. But it says, verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. He was going to see, could something possibly have happened? Why? The stone was over. The lions were in there. This, this, this person, Daniel, is dead. This is how it works. But the king thought maybe something else would happen because God had been seen. This extraordinary God had been seen in Daniel's life. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. And scripturally, when this phrase is used, it means it's really kind of like a confession, the one true God. Daniel, the, the one who believes in the one true God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, and I'm sure everybody was shocked. May the king live forever. Just having a great time down here with the lions. See you guys. Be kind to the next guy, will you? No, he didn't say that. He said, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel, the one who serves the living God, the one who continually seeks God, are you okay? Are you alive? Yes, I am, King. And so can you be if you trust in the living God. Is there anything about this story that I just read about these verses that reminds you of another story? Do you think that there might be some foreshadowing in this story of something far greater than Daniel being released from the lion's den? Do you think that there's a reason that the author of Hebrews references back to uh, the fiery furnace in Daniel's, Daniel in the lion's den when he's talking about Christ and his resurrection? Think about this story. Jesus, who there was, no, there was found no reason to be killed, was killed. Blameless, pure, innocent. Thrown into a grave. And then three days later, God raises him from the dead victoriously with no mark or blemish other than the, 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 the presence of the wounds that he suffered on the cross. But in his glorious state, alive, proclaiming victory over death, victory over the pit, victory over our sin and our shame. Daniel's story in the pit reminds us of the greatest story that we've ever heard, that we've ever known, the story of Christ, who, for our sakes, for our um, guiltiness, for those of us in this room, and I would say 100% of us, who would, because of our own choices and rebellion in our heart, would be qualified for the pit before God. Jesus on the cross died for us. Jesus in the grave dwelt there for us. Jesus from the grave, by the power of the Father in heaven, rose for us so that we could really, really be free. That roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 that seeks to devour, his mouth is shut. That, that devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but can't because of Christ Jesus is defeated. And the abundant life that we have out of the pit has been given to us through Jesus. Jesus and God want us to live like Daniel. They want us to live like a lamb. Among the lions. Daniel was a lamb. When accused, he prayed. When threatened, he honored. When imprisoned, he hoped in God. And as one who trusts and prays, God delivered him. In this situation, he delivered him from death to live a longer life here on earth. But any way that Christ delivers us, it's by his power and his grace. So that brings us to the last little part of this passage of Scripture where King Darius, who was an unbeliever, becomes the best preacher in the whole book of Daniel. You want to hear preacher Darius? Darius goes on a, gets in his pulpit. He wrote to all the nations and all the peoples of every language and all the earth. Kind of sounds like the end times, doesn't it? When every tribe and tongue will profess the name of Jesus. 
And he says this, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is, and listen to this, he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. Can I get an amen? That's what Darius was saying. And he was looking at all his satraps and he was saying, you're in trouble. Because Daniel put his faith in the right God. Darius was saying, I'm not the right I'm not the right God to put, I'm not a God, and I'm not the right person to put that kind of faith in. Daniel has it right, and so should we. So Daniel prospered, it says, during the reign of Darius. Can I have the band come up? So what's our response this morning? Do you have this kind of faith? Do you have this kind of peace? You have this kind of trust in the living God. And I would say that at times in my life, I do and I don't. Let's just be honest. I do know where my hope comes from, and it's in the living God. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I trust that in any situation, in any trial and circumstance, that God will come through. Do I have the fortitude or the perseverance to unwaver, be unwavering in those times sometimes? Sometimes I'm pretty fearful. How about you? Sometimes I'm pretty hopeful. Sometimes I'm wondering, God, are you really going to come through? Are you going to rescue me? rescue me today from the mouths of lions? But I know that Jesus' response every time is, yes, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But what's your response this morning? There might be some people in this room um, and I always and I always extend this invitation because I don't always know everybody. There might be some people in this room that have either been here for a while but have been on a journey to not to, a journey to try to figure out is the God that I keep on hearing about is this Jesus real? And it might be that this morning you've been here a number of times, or maybe this is your first time, and you're saying there's something about this story. There's something about what this preacher is talking about, or there's just something about the presence of God in this place. It's different from what I'm experiencing. You're experiencing, might I say, the presence of an extraordinary spirit, the living God. The scripture tells us that it's appointed a time for all of us to die, and then the resurrection. All of us are going to die. We just don't know when we're going to die. But when we die, we will all at one point be resurrected, and we will sit or stand before the living God, and he will look at our life, and he will judge us according to our deeds. But guess what deed he is judging us according to? He's judging us according to whether or not we put our faith in his son, Jesus. Whether or not we decided, you know what, I can't live it on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't be religious enough. I can't yada, 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 whatever enough is. I know that my only hope in life is through Christ. Some of you in this room need to stop fighting. And you need to surrender to Jesus. So I would pray at this moment of response that if that's you that you would not resist the moving of the spirit in your heart and life but that you would say God I don't know what it really looks like but whatever it looks like I choose you and I want to put my faith in the one
one who died for me and rose from the grave to conquer my sin and forgive me and give me new life. Some of us have pits in our life right now that we need to be crying out to God in or before. We need to be crying out to God and say, God, deliver me. If you have a, have a need of deliverance, I'd call, you out, I'd call you to pray. And it might be that you just need to come forward and get on your knees and pray. But you also might need somebody to agree with you. So if you're in a place of fear, a place of turmoil, a place of, of bondage, I'd encourage you to do as Daniel did, to not shrink back but to pray. Would you stand with me? Lord God, Spirit of God, bring salvation this morning. Bring deliverance this morning. May the story of Daniel and others bring hope and encouragement as we respond to you and make way for you to be the center of our life, that extraordinary God that lives and breathes within us. I pray in Jesus' name. If you have a response in your heart, would you come forward?